Amen. I want you to open, that's good, I want you to open your Bibles to First Thess, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've been thinking together through the book of 1 Thessalonians about what it means to be courageous as Christians and what it means to stand firm in our faith, particularly in difficult times. And now in 2 Thessalonians is a much shorter letter, but it's Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica, and he continues to encourage them with this idea that even though being a follower of Christ can be tough at times, it is so worth it. And we are to stand courageously in the face of opposition. Pretty clear from the context of, this, of these two books and, and of this, this message that Paul gives that there is some persecution going on. There is some struggle going on, some trial, some tribulation. The people are hurting, they're suffering in some way. And Paul is writing words of encouragement and support, and he's trying to encourage them to stand firm and be courageous. And so this morning, I want to think with you for a few moments on the topic, Where Courage Lives. Where Courage Lives. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and Paul begins this second letter to the church by remembering, by, excuse me, by reminding them to remember where courage comes from. And so that begs a question for each of us this morning. And here's the question I have for you. Where do you go to find courage? Let's be specific. You don't have to answer out, but think about it very specifically. Where do you go to find courage during frightening times? Maybe another way to ask the same question is this. Where do you turn when you are discouraged, when the courage has left you, when the difficulty begins to overwhelm you. Now, we all know that there are some unhealthy places to try to find courage. Some try to find it in a bottle or a pill, for instance, only to realize after the, the drug wears off, that the struggle is still there, the pain is still there, the fear is still there. Some seek to find courage in other people, people who themselves are broken and damaged, limited. And while we can certainly find a certain amount of solace in others, we can find a certain amount of of help and support in other people, and I think there's a place for that. We've all had those situations and circumstances where people were just not enough. And sometimes the relationship itself was damaged or even severed because the need for courage was too great. The disappointment that followed was too heavy. Where do you go when you're discouraged? Well, if you look with me in the second Thessalonians chapter one, Paul is writing to the church there and to us to remind us where courage lives. He gives us some very specific places to turn when we begin to feel overwhelmed by the situations and circumstances around us. You and I are living today in a very frightening world. We are. 
I've never in my lifetime seen so much confusion and so much frustration and so much fear. But I want you to understand, as I've said before, never before in my lifetime have I seen such a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ than we have as his church today. Because the people around us are frightened. The people around us are suffering. The people around us are asking hard questions. The people around us are looking for courage. And church, we know where to find it. The real kind. The kind that lasts. The kind that sustains. We have this message called the gospel. And that word simply means good news. And we have it. We know where the courage lies. We know how to live through this life without being consumed with dread and fear because we know the author of courage. His name is Jesus, and He is our Lord. And we have courage in Him and only in Him. So I want us to look at what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and to us concerning how to find courage. And listen to what he says in verse number 3. He gives a quick greeting in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, he simply puts it this way. We must always thank God for you, brothers. And this is right, since your faith is flourishing. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. And I want to say to you, thanks be unto God that courage lives where faith is flourishing. Think about that for just a second. When I ask the question, where do you go to find courage? I hope that some of you, if not all of us, in this room this morning thought, I know where I go, Pastor. I turn to my faith. Because it is faith that enables us to get through this world no matter how dark and dismal it may be. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. You probably know this passage as well. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, I want you to hear a biblical definition of the word faith. You might say, well, what, what kind of faith are we talking about? And we'll deal with that in just a second. But he says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So here in this passage, we see faith as being something that has to do with the unknown, okay? There's some part of life that I do not know and I do not understand. I call that the dark hole of my finiteness. And I think every person has a dark hole of finiteness. In other words, there are certain things that I know about. There are certain things that I kind of have an understanding of. Certain things that I can see with my eyes, that I can feel with my hands, certain things that I can experience in my life. And that experience informs me. And I can get along fairly well for a while within that limited understanding. However, there always comes a point in my life, no matter what the topic, no matter what the situation or circumstance, where that arena of understanding runs out. You follow me? There's always a point where I get to that, that's, that precipice where 
if I take another step, I am no longer leaning on my own understanding because I don't understand it. I'm no longer depending on my knowledge because I don't know it. I'm no longer leaning on what I have experienced because I haven't yet experienced it. And there's this black hole of, I don't get this. Now the next step, according to Hebrews chapter 11, is the step of faith. It is believing in what I cannot see. It's trusting in what I cannot perceive or understand. You see, I, I, I learned, according to the book of Ephesians, that I have been saved by this kind of faith. There had to come a time in my life and yours, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, there had to come that time in our lives when our ability to save ourselves ran out. Well, we had to realize, you know what? I don't know how to save myself. I don't know what to do next. I don't understand what it means to be holy and righteous before God. I know a little bit about being a nice guy. I know a little bit about being a pretty good person. But I have no idea what it means to be right with God. And so I had to get to the point to where I got to that black hole of my spiritual finiteness to where, God, I don't know anything about what it means to please you. I am so broken. I am so depraved. There's nothing in me that can please you. And I can't figure this out. And God said, take one more step. And that's the step of faith that says, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to give my brokenness, my sinfulness, my finiteness, God. I'm going to give it over to you. And I took that one step of faith, and I found myself stepping into the hands of God. And he says, now I've got you from here. That's what faith does. And as I think about this world and all of the situations and circumstances that I face every day, that we face every day that are frightening, I got to tell you, the longer I live in this world and the older I get, the more I realize that my black hole of finiteness is bigger than I thought it was. It gets bigger every day. There's so much about this world that I don't get. So much about this world that I don't understand. As a matter of fact, I told the early service that my new mantra over these last four months, three simple words, I don't know. Oh, I wish I had a quarter for every time I've said those three words in the last four months. Pastor, what do you think about all this? Well, I don't know. When do you think this is going to end? Well, I don't know. You think they're ever going to find a cure? Well, I don't know. When's Sunday school going to start back? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I've said it over and over again. And I would be consumed with the I don't knows. I would be overwhelmed with fear over what I don't know if I didn't have faith in the one who does know. Because it is at that point where I can say, you know what, it's not for me to know all because I have a God who does know all and he is able. We read about the courage that, that comes through faith from 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5. I encourage you to look there with me in your scripture. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 3, we find these words. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commandments. Verse 4, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Isn't that good? This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. Now notice he's saying two things here. He's saying our faith is going to give us the courage as we seek to live and conquer this world. But then he goes on and says, but wait, 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 wait. It's not just faith in anything or anyone, but only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the right kind of faith that makes the difference here. Oh, you can put your faith in a lot of different things. And, and I guess, truth be known, everybody puts their faith in something. Somebody's got their faith in, in the government to take care of things. Some people have their faith in the financial institutions to take care of things. Some people have their faith in other relationships. You can put your faith and trust in just about anything. But the faith that saves, the faith that delivers, the faith that empowers, the faith that encourages is a faith in the one almighty, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Faith in him through Jesus Christ will give you courage. I love how the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that by using ordinary chickens like me and you to do extraordinary things for the glory of God. You ever notice how, how a lot of people who start off to be used of God's glory is scared to death? Like, for instance, we'll go to, we'll go to the guy, guy by the name of Moses. Moses was in the wilderness, and God called him over to him and wanted to talk to him and said, I, I want to talk to you about something. He's talking to a burning bush, which, by the way, would have scared me to death. And he says to him, Moses, I want you to go down and have a conversation with Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at the time. And I just want you to kind of walk into Pharaoh's chambers just kind of casually say to him, um, excuse me, sir, but me and half a million of your slaves are going to walk out of here and you're not going to do anything about it. Set my people free. Moses was scared to death. He started making excuse after excuse after excuse. And God said to this, he, God said for him to do this. He said, Moses, that staff in your hand, I want you to throw it on the ground. You ever thought about all the ways God could have shown his power to Moses during that moment, he could have done anything. He could have, you know, he could have made it snow on that mountaintop, or he could have made some, some angel appear or whatever. He could have done any number of things. He just said, I want you to throw your staff down. So Moses threw his staff down. It became a snake. All right. All right, here we go. Remember, Moses is afraid of Pharaoh. And so God had him throw down his staff and it became a snake. Now let me tell you what I read into that. I, I'm not, I wasn't there, but I can tell you if it was me instead of Moses and my staff had to become a snake, God would have just identified the number one thing on this planet that I'm more afraid of than Pharaoh. Because I hate snakes. I hate them all. I know we got some snake lovers out there, and I'm real sorry. I, 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 feel, I feel your pain, but not me. Can't do it. Can't get past it. And so I got a feeling Moses was just like that. He threw that thing down, it became a snake. And, and, it, and you know, it's not one of those little friendly, colorful snakes that everybody likes to play with. And then, no, this thing had fangs. I can just see it. And then God said, pick it up. And Moses reached down, and he picked up that, that, that snake, and it returned to a staff. And in doing that, God said something very powerful to his servant. He said, I want you to know I have authority over all the snakes on this world, and I will get you through this. 
And when Moses was able to put his faith in God, in the power of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, his fear began to subside, and he had courage to go and do what God had called him to do. You've got to see God. I think of David. You know, we think of King David. Sometimes we even think of General David. We don't talk a whole lot about Shepherd Boy David. But he was just a boy as a shepherd. Somehow, as God would lead him, he ended up standing in front of one of the most powerful men on, on the earth, physically powerful men on the earth, a giant named Goliath. Everybody in Saul's army was scared to death. They wouldn't dare face him. David runs out there on the battlefield with a slingshot. But what's important is what he says to Goliath. And I love, I love what he says. He says to Goliath, he says, You come to me with a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. You see, David put his faith in God. He put his faith in the Almighty One. And he found courage there. I want you to know that God's got this. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus is in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus and his disciples are in, in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus takes a, a, a break, goes down the bow of the boat, and goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping there on the boat, a great storm comes up. And it's such a great storm that it says the disciples begin to fight the storm, and they're bailing water, and you can just see the mayhem that's going on there. And one of them looks at the other and says, you better wake the Lord up because we're going to perish. It must have been quite a storm. Some of those men were professional fishermen. They had lived on that sea their whole life. They had, they had managed and maneuvered boats their whole life. And they knew this was not typical. This was not one that, that you could make it through. This is one that, that, that was life-threatening. Let's wake the Lord up before we die. And Jesus wakes up. And he, he asked him a very important question. So guys... Where's your faith? They were frightened, anxious, nervous, discouraged. Where's your faith? I wonder if Jesus might not ask the church of America the same question today. But Lord, this pandemic is the worst storm I've ever seen. Where's your faith? But God, our, our government is so polarized right now. They can't agree on anything. I've never seen a time like this in our country. Where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Where's your faith? God, the storm and this social unrest and upheaval that's taking place right before us. We see it on the news every night. It's such a great storm. God, we're all going to perish. Where's your faith? Not just faith in anything, but faith in our almighty God, faith in our all-knowing God, faith in our all-powerful God, faith in our all-sufficient God. He's got this. And that, that kind of faith will overcome the world. Courage lives where faith is flourishing. As we read on in that same verse, in, in verse number three, he, he tells us another place we can look for courage. He says, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Note that. 
Courage lives where faith is flourishing, but courage also lives where love is increasing. Love for one another. Throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament were commanded, love one another, love one another, love one another. One of the first Bible verses I learned as a child and one of the first ones we teach our children now, love one another. It's critically, critically an important truth. Why? Because courage lives where love is increasing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, Paul has been talking about love there, and he's been defining it. And then he says, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Did anybody see the, the news conference that uh, Governor McMaster gave this week? I, I was watching one afternoon this week, Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, I was watching Governor McMaster, and he's talking about all the things we can and cannot do. And then he began to talk about his decision or the state's decision to open up access for families to get into the nursing homes to see their family members who were there. Did you, did you notice that? And I'm watching this, and he got really serious about this. And he says, you know, I, we recognize that the people that are in those, those care facilities are high-risk people. They're there because they're high risk, is what he says. And we would not want to do anything at all to increase their risk of COVID by, by bringing people from the outside in, and, and they have been shut off, and, and we certainly wouldn't want to do anything. And then he said this, and he got real serious. He said, but we've also realized that they have a greater need. They've been isolated and they've become discouraged and depressed. And that's, that, that's, that's hard as well. That's just as serious. And so we've decided that we're going to open up those doors and let immediate family members begin to go in and visit with their loved ones to try to build them up and encourage them. That was just this week. And when I was watching that, I thought about you. And I thought about how much we need each other. When this whole pandemic started and we were told about social distancing and no groups more than just 10 people or so and and decision was made, well, we're not going to have uh, services on campus anymore. We got all excited about being able to present the online services so each person, each family could worship in in the comforts of their own home and they would be safe physically. And we did our best, and we're continuing to do our best to do that because we understand there's a great great physical crisis that's going on, and we want to do our part and try to mitigate those risks as much as possible. But it wasn't long before I began to realize what the governor had realized. We need one another. There's strength in this. We need to see that love increasing more and more because where love increases, that's where courage lives. I've missed being in the fellowship of other believers where we come together to support and encourage each other because that is God's way. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is. However, continue to encourage one another in this way. It is encouraging 
courage lives where love increases. But he goes on, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says it this way. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your endurance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you have endured. Sometimes when we read the Bible, not only do we see what he says, we have to see what he doesn't say. He didn't say we're boasting about how God has delivered you from your persecutions. It's not what he said. It doesn't say we're, we boast because God has done such a great work to deliver you from your struggles. It's not what he says. He says we boast because you endured during that struggle. That you kept the faith, that you're keeping on, keeping on, that you're standing firm, that you're holding on. You see, courage lives where perseverance is enduring. Some seasons of life, church, are just long, hard seasons. I want you to understand something. When you're in the midst of that long, hard season, hold on to your faith. Continue to love one another and endure because the Bible says in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And sometimes when we cry out to God about the struggles that we're in, His resounding answer is simply to wait and hold on. I've got to tell you, I don't particularly like that answer sometimes. But more times than I can count in my lifetime, when I have sought to be faithful to God and hold on and wait for the storm, I have lived to see the sun rise the next morning and realize that God is faithful. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 through 5, we, we see a result. You say, well, pastor, what, what, why wait? Why do we go through things like this? And some would ask even, why does God put us through times like this? Or why does God allow these things to happen to us? We find that answer in Romans chapter 5. Verse 3 and following, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And then he says this, and this hope will not disappoint us. It will not. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. You see the point? The point is God is saying, hold on, hold on, and you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. You'll see. You'll see. It's building you up. God is doing something in you while you wait on Him. And there's powerful truth in that, and there's courage in that truth. Let's read on. Let's get through 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at verse 5 and following. Because I, I like where he goes with this. It says, It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you also are suffering. 
since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflicted you and to reward with rest you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. Let's stop right there. See, see what Paul is reminding the early church is of this. You know, we get caught up in this, and, and, and the idea is, God, you know I'm suffering for you, and, and I'm trying to stand firm, and I'm being faithful, and yet we have all of these, these people that are persecuting us, all these people that don't care, and, and it seems as though the righteous, the, the righteous are suffering and the unrighteous are prospering. Paul says, oh, no, wait, 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 don't worry about that. Because we know that in the end, our God wins. We know that in the end, our God wins. The day is coming when, when we will see the reason. When we will understand completely. And Paul wrote to, to the church at Corinth, now I see through a glass though dimly. In other words, my hole of, of finiteness is huge. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But one day I will see clearly. We find courage where hope is prevailing. Where we put our hope and our trust in God and realize that in the end, God wins. One of the things I like to do when I'm discouraged about the condition of this world is I like to turn to God's Word. And there's a lot of passages in God's Word that are encouraging to me. But on my darkest days, I like to go to the ending. I like to look at the fact that in one of these days, the Lord and His church are going to return to this earth, and He's going to be riding a white horse, and on, that, on, on his, his chest and on His, his, his his mantle will be a, a name that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're going to follow him in, and he is going to finish what he started, and our God wins. There's a lot of courage in that. To know that no matter what happens, we are the children of God, and he's got this. Finally, down in verse 11 and 12, we'll, we'll close with this. He says, and in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of his calling and will, by his power, fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Courage lives where Trust is sustaining. He says, our prayer is that you will realize every day that God's got you. Do you realize that this morning? That God's got you? It was John on the Isle of Patmos as he was writing his letters. He, he wrote in 1 John how... How amazing, how glorious it is that we can be called the very children of God. God's got this. He's got you. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul said, I am persuaded that God is able. He said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep it until that day. God's got this. God's got you. And there's courage in that. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, I, I challenge you to remember today that you are his child and he's got you. Nothing is going to happen to you unless he agrees and allows for it because you are one of his. He's got you. He's got your life. He's got your future. He's got your eternity. He's got you. Or there's courage in that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, and I'm going to get Jason to come back and lead us in a time of invitation and response. Courage lives, the, the short summary is that courage lives where God is. That's where courage lives. And he's invited you to be with him, to walk through this life with him instead of without him, to be where he is. And through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us, we have that privilege of being in the presence of God. That's where courage is. Our faith. Our love, our hope, our trust, that's where God is. This is your chance to respond. I'll be here near the front. However God leads as we sing, would you respond?